As you take your seats this morning, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, we are uh, still journeying through this gospel. We are still in chapter 22 uh, here, and we are still in the upper room. Uh, Luke has brought us to the upper room. We, look, we looked at the Passover meal, the last meal that uh, Jesus has had with his disciples, and has brought us through this journey of this meal, and we're finishing up this meal uh, today. Uh, several events have taken place during this time, and so I want to bring your memories back to them. If you recall, everything was started uh, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he revealed to them throughout the meal that he was the true redeemer described in the Passover meal. And he mentioned that one of the disciples was going to betray him. And when that happened, all chaos broke out. The disciples started asking, is it me? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? And then the disciples decided to start accusing someone. It's you. Maybe not. I don't know. It's not me. And then when they decided to get into a real good argument as, it can't be me. I am the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. Could you imagine? Let me tell you, I am the greatest. I am the best. I have never, that, that's what they were arguing about as Jesus was trying to prepare them for his final hours of him going to the cross. So it starts off with, someone's going to betray me, not me. Then it ends up in an argument. I'm the greatest. I'm the best. Sounds like every family holiday gathering, doesn't it? Right? You're like, not my family. Well, praise God. My family gets excited, though. <laughs> Has some good times there. Jesus calms everyone down, and in the manner that Jesus can do, he teaches them in these moments, some teachable moments here, on what it means to have a sacrificial heart and what it means to have a servant's attitude. And we've covered those over these last couple weeks. But if you remember last week, if you were with us, I kind of alluded that Peter was probably the ringleader. He was probably the loudest one in the group, probably boasting that he's going to be the greatest. And the reason why I said that or showed that is because that's Peter's personality. But I think our narrative today really shows us that that was the case because Jesus now, like laser focus now, focuses on Peter. It's like, okay, I had to deal with all of you, got you guys all calmed down, but I need to focus on Peter uh, for a moment here. And so in Luke 22, verse 31, we see here Jesus speaking, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, as oftentimes I share with you, I get these mental images, these mental pictures of this. Remember, these are real-life people in real-life situations. And Peter is this outgoing, talkative-type person who kind of uh, demands the room. And, and I think there's a reason why Jesus said Simon's name twice. What do you think that is? I think Jesus had to get his attention. Because I think Simon, even though Jesus was calming everybody down, I don't think Simon stopped talking. You ever been around someone like that? You know, everybody's calmed down. But I think, remember, at the end of what he was talking about last, last week, Jesus said, there is going to be a kingdom, and you're going to sit at the table of that kingdom, and you're going to have authority someday. Someday down the road, this is going to happen. And I can just see Peter lean over and elbow Andrew and go, that's going to be me. Right? I'm going to sit at the head of that table. And I think Jesus, Simon, Simon, I, I need to talk to you here, man. I need, I need your attention. I need you to, to, to come in and focus. For, I don't know. I love to think about this. I wonder if Jesus did, did the motion that you do with your kids right here. Right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that he did that, but that's just kind of what, what I see there. And so he gets his attention 
and he brings reality to Simon's life. He says, Simon, listen, Satan is after you. Satan wants to get his hands on you. Satan wants to destroy you. Now, it's really interesting that in the Greek, that word you is plural. So, so while Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter and really directing his comments to Simon Peter, he's letting everyone in the room know, basically, that, listen, as my follower, Satan is after you. Satan does not want you to succeed. As a matter of fact, you've gone a lot farther than what Satan would ever wanted you to go. And he's demanding to have you because he wants to sift you like wheat. In other words, Peter, Satan wants to destroy you. And I think what Jesus was laying out was, Peter, your actions are aligning really with what Satan wants. You're kind of setting this thing up for him. And you understand that he's trying to get a hold of you and he wants to destroy you. And if he can, he wants to destroy all of you, but he wants to destroy you how many of you know as followers of jesus it's no different for us if you've accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior and you are following him satan wants nothing more than to destroy your life than to tear you down to make you worthless for the kingdom of god as a matter of fact the scriptures tell us that satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour seeking whom he may destroy satan wants nothing more than to make you worthless for the kingdom of god nothing more than to make you worthless for the kingdom of god as a believer satan can't have your soul but he certainly will do all he can to destroy your life and especially your testimony He will work overtime. He is focused on that. There's nothing more pleasurable to Satan and his demons to cause a child of God to fall into sin. Because when a child of God falls into sin, not only does it tear down their life, but it tears down the lives of those that are closest to them. It tears down the friends that they are close to. It tears down the church, and it brings harm and hinders the kingdom of God. So if Satan can't have your soul, he's definitely going to do all he can to destroy you. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter here. Peter, Satan wants to get a hold of you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you. And he's warning Peter about this. And then he gives them comfort. We talk about this all the time. Isn't it great how God gives us this warning or chastisement if you will and then he brings comfort into our lives nothing more comfortable than hearing jesus say these words in verse 32 but i have prayed for you that your faith may not fail can you think about that for a moment the bible tells us that that's one of the key ministries of jesus now that he has ascended into heaven to make intercession for us to pray on our behalf and jesus says to to peter says i've prayed for you i have prayed that your faith will remain strong in the midst of this testing i pray that that you will rely upon me but then jesus makes a very interesting statement One that's really easy for us just to kind of read over. The second part of that, he says, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, man, I'm praying for your faith to be strong, but but when you turn again, well, that has the idea of Peter coming back to Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying here is that when you come back, strengthen your brothers. And you're like going, What is he saying? 
Let me put this in a condensed version for you. Let me really lay this out for what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, Satan is coming after you, Peter, and wants to destroy you. I'm praying that your faith in me will be strong, that you'll rely upon me, and that you will trust in me during this time. However, it is clear. It is clear, Peter, that you're relying upon your own strength because you're so worried about being the greatest in my kingdom. And it is this pride that you have in you, Peter, this, this pride that is the same pride that is Satan's pride that's going to be your downfall. And if you continue the way that you're going, relying upon yourself and in yourself and in your pride, you're going to fall. Now listen, when you fall, I will be there to pick you up. Isn't that good? When you fall and you ask forgiveness, I will forgive you and I will restore you. And then I challenge you that when you come through this, use this, redeem it so that you can help others in the same way. And so Jesus is laying out for him, really telling him, this is what's going to happen in your life, Peter. This is what's going to happen. You can escape it if you really rely upon me, but because of your pride, because of your mindset, I see that you're not. And you're going to fall. But you'll come back. And we see that in John's gospel in John chapter 21. And I'll restore you. And then use this to reach others, to strengthen your brothers. But why in the world did Jesus understand this? Why did he know what Peter was going to do? Well, really, it kind of comes into Peter's reaction here in verse number 33. Because Peter, are you ready? Peter was one who talked more than he listened. There is a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? But some of us, like myself, to be quite honest, I told you I really relate with Peter. Our mouth is too loud for our ears to hear, right? Peter wasn't listening. He wouldn't listen. Peter's response is so absolutely amazing. He says to the Lord, he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'm with you, Jesus. Let's go. You and I, we'll take on these Roman soldiers. We'll take on everything all by ourselves. In other words, this is exactly what Peter was saying. Jesus, don't worry about me. Pray for the other ones. you got to pray for those guys. Listen, they're going to they're gonna fall. But me, no way, man. I'm with you all the way. I've got your back. I don't care who's coming. I don't care how many of them there are. We're going to take them on. If that means I have to go to prison with you or if I have to die, I will die with you. We've got this, Jesus, you and me. Give me a squirt gun and I'm going to charge the gates of hell, right? And Jesus responds. And I love this response. I think we read it wrong sometimes. Jesus responds, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I think it's pretty common for us to read this passage of Scripture as if Jesus is putting Peter in his place. I think, I think there's a reality here, but I don't think that Jesus is really saying this for shock value. I have more of a view of this. I think possibly what he's doing is I think Jesus looked at Peter at this point, understanding that Peter wasn't going to listen to what Jesus was saying, understanding that Peter was going to do it in the flesh and do all he could in his own power. And I think Jesus looked at him maybe with some tears in his eyes going, Peter, you're missing it. Man, you're so missing it. He's like, you're going to try to do this in your own strength and maybe in a disappointed tone. 
Jesus looks at Peter. I, I, just, I just have this picture of Jesus going, oh, Peter. Can you picture that? Oh, Peter. You all, all, got all these big words, all these things. You're going to stand up at Peter. You don't understand. He's like, Peter, I know you believe that you'll stand with me, but listen, you won't. And you know why you won't? Because you're relying on your flesh. You're relying on yourself. You're telling yourself that you're going to do this. But you can't. You need to rely upon my strength. You need to rely upon me. But you're trying to do it in your own strength. And Peter, listen now. As a matter of fact, not only will you not stand with me, but before the night is over, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will wind up betraying me and denying me three times. And I don't think Jesus was getting on Peter's case. I think Jesus was proclaiming a reality that broke his heart. Why? Because Peter didn't have to go there. Peter could have relied upon the Lord. Peter could have trusted in Jesus and his strength. Peter could have trusted what Jesus had told him was going to happen. Remember, all this whole night was laid out for them already. Jesus already told them that he was going to be turned over. Jesus already told them that he had to go to the cross. Jesus told them these things. But they wouldn't listen. Peter didn't listen. Come on, God, we'll go do this. And this is exactly what Jesus said, as you understand, is exactly what happened. Luke records for us in a few verses in the same chapter. In verse 54, listen to, listen to this situation that plays out. Then they seized him, that's Jesus. The guards seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, you know, most scholars tell us this girl was probably about 13 years old, maybe 14, just a young teenager, comes up to this big, burly fisherman, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him and said, this man also was with them. But he denied it. Number one, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Number two, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Number three. And immediately, immediately after those words, while he was still speaking, while the words were coming out of his mouth, you can hear the rooster crowing in the distance. And oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. Peter's eyes and the eyes of the Lord made contact in that moment. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And I think if no words were exchanged, but I think in that look, the, 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 the disappointment, the, the, the I told you so, oh, that had to cut. And it did. I told you, Peter. And Peter, remembering what the Lord had said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter ran out bitterly weeping. Why? Because he knew he failed. Peter was so confident. 
I think when Peter said the words, I think he meant it 110%. I think Peter believed with all of his heart that the rest of the disciples were going to run and Peter and Jesus were going to go at it. They're going to take him on. He meant what he said, but what happened? Why did he fail? Well, Matthew in his gospel gives us a phrase, a term here that I think really applies even to this. He's talking about something else in the garden when they wouldn't uh, stay awake, but he says this, the spirit is willing, listen now, but the flesh is weak. That's the key. We think that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We think that we can do this Christianity thing. We think we can live for God in our own strength, do it our own way. And every time we do, like Peter, we fail. So often we go through the motions. So often we go through the routines. So often we just add Jesus to our life. Like, oh, he's a good thing to add to our lives. We don't put him first. We don't seek him first. We don't take what his word says and make it the most priority in our lives. We, we do it our own way first, and then when that doesn't work, we're like, oh, maybe I'll try God's way. I've got the plan, God. Just, just will you please bless my plan? And God says, no. You see, I've got the plan, and my plan is guaranteed to work. Peter says, I've got my plan. The old song, Frank Sinatra song, is probably one of the greatest songs to define where the heart of our sin is in our lives, and that is this, I did it my way. Every act of sin in our life, the core of that is rebellion. Every act of sin is, I did it my way way. I didn't do it the way that God told me to do it. Peter failed because his confidence was in himself. His confidence was in his flesh and not in God. Listen, the point to all of this, the point to this for our lives is this. You nor I can live the Christian life in our own strength. It's impossible. We can play church we can go through the motions, we can do good things, but without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life working through us, all of it is simply filthy rags in the eyes of God. It's worthless, it's pointless, and it gets us nowhere. And nine times out of ten, it gives victory to the enemy. The only way that we can successfully live this Christian life is in complete reliance on the Holy Spirit. Paul put it this way. He said that we must walk in the Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you remember I told you just a little bit ago that the Scriptures tell us that Satan, like a roaring lion, seeks whom he may devour? Did you know that that verse is in Peter's epistles? Do you know it was Peter that pen those words. Why? Because Peter knew firsthand that when you live in the flesh, you're devoured by the devil. He redeems. He did what Jesus told him to do. He said, when I forgive you, 
strengthen your brothers. And he did. Stay away from the things of the devil. Don't live in the flesh. Trust God. Put your strength in Him. Trust the Holy Spirit so that you can live a victorious life. How do we walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? How do we do this? The key, the heart is this. Obedience to God's Word. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you if you went to a person that was a self-help person and they wrote a book and you asked them, can you help me in my life? What would they say to you? What would their answer be? Read my book, right? Guess what? The Holy Spirit authored a book, right? And he says, if you want to live in my power, if you want to live with my strength, if you want to live and live your life victoriously, Read my book. But not just read it, because you know that reading something, just reading it doesn't do anything. But read it, and guess what? Apply it. Do what it says. Follow what it says. To walk in the Spirit is to apply the truths of God's Word. Read and study God's Word. Know and apply its principles in our life. We must spend time in prayer. Listen now. We must spend time in prayer with God, not just asking for the things that we want. Right? How many times is the only time that we come to prayer, other than thanking the the Lord for the food that we're about to eat, that we spend 10, 15 minutes in prayer just going, God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I need this. What would you do if a person came to you and every time they wanted to talk to you, you knew they were going to ask you for something? What would you do? I'd run. Here they come again. Praise God, our God's a lot more patient with us, right? (laughs) Amen. But the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Spend time with God. We must spend quality time with God, but we also need to spend quality time with other believers doing life together. I am as convinced as convinced can be, and you've heard this from me a thousand times. We cannot do life alone. We need each other to encourage one another, to help one another, to pray for one another, to challenge one another. Because why? Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is after you. And the only way, the only way to survive the attacks of the enemy is to walk in the Spirit, to be clothed in the armor of Jesus Christ and to walk in the Spirit. This is the only way that we can live this victorious Christian life. Listen, when we live this way and the enemy attacks, we will be spiritually strong and able to stand against him. But here's the key. Here's the key. You better be walking in the Spirit in the good times or you won't stand in the bad. Do you hear me? So often when things get good, it's like, oh, this is easy. I've got this, God. And the second you say, I've got this, God, you're going to fall flat on your face, just like Peter, right? Because you don't got it. Even in the easy times, you don't got it. However, when we rely upon the flesh, as I just said, Satan has the power to destroy the flesh and destroy our testimony, just as he did with Peter. Now, praise God. God, there is always redemption. There's always forgiveness. But wouldn't it be better to not have to ask for forgiveness? (laughs) 
Wouldn't it be better to just have victory instead of seeking forgiveness? Listen, there's a way of victory. There's a way to live overcoming the snares and the attacks of Satan in our life. And that is this, listen carefully. That is to surrender. We don't like that word. We don't use that word very often, but that's what it is. To surrender. To surrender and place our confidence in the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. So if I can leave you with one truth today, if I can challenge you one way, last slide this morning, place your confidence in the Holy Spirit. You cannot succeed any other way. Would you stand with me in God's house today? Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, maybe there's some here that have tried to live in the flesh and they have fallen. And Lord, I want them to know that it's just one step back to you, one step for forgiveness. And I praise you for that. Oh, but Lord, let us be a people. Let us be a people that rely and put our confidence in you. Use us, Lord, to be a beacon of light in this community. Use us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, to see souls saved, lives changed, lives mended, lives put back together. And God, the truth is, is we can't do that in our own strength. It's only by relying and putting our confidence in you. So, Lord, let us live with the confidence we're supposed to have in you, I pray. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.